business owner, you're familiar and you have a company culture, but do you have a family culture? Well, do you know that your business stability is directly proportional to your family and life stability? Well, that's what our expert is here to discuss with us today. And he's going to give you all the tips and hacks on how to really build that great foundation in your family and personal life so that you can dominate as a business owner. Welcome to Waste Up Wardrobe. I'm Christine Vartanian, an attorney turned personal style expert and image consultant. As the founder of Jade House of Style, I am passionate about unveiling the inner confidence of my clients by developing their personal style and dressing them for success. But is getting dressed up still important in our virtual world? Well, that's where my experience can help with what I call Waste Up Wardrobe. Waste Up Wardrobe is a podcast for all things you need to conduct an outstanding Zoom meeting. It's about how to dress for the camera, but it's not just about the clothes. It's about everything you need to know to show up on brand and professionally for the camera. Join me in the Waste Up Wardrobe studio to discuss how to navigate this virtual world and dominate from behind the desk. Good morning, uh, Waste Up Wardrobe Nation. It's great to have you here for yet another episode of Waste Up Wardrobe. I'm so thrilled and excited to bring you a new fresh show every single time. And today we're always, you know, we're always focused on entrepreneurship and today's topic might just resonate with so many of us. And we're always trying to be the best entrepreneur we can be, be the best and improve ourselves on a daily basis, because that's kind of what the entrepreneurial world is all about. Um, So I can't wait to dive in onto this conversation with my guests today. But before I get started, I want to remind you that we are on so many platforms where you can catch us. We're on iTunes, so you can go and listen to us if you're taking a walk on the beach and can't necessarily watch us. Uh, We are on uh, Facebook every Thursday at 11.30 Live, where you can actually have a live conversation with us and the experts. We are also on YouTube, and uh, we are here religiously, consistently, every Thursday, like I said earlier. I also want to give a huge thank you and shout out to my awesome producer, Rick Moscoso, who makes this show possible. There he is, uh, showing up in his um, avatar. Uh, But he's always here in the production room, making everything really um, just work smoothly and I'm so grateful for his contribution. So I always have to remember to highlight him because he is the wing with the wind beneath the wings of this show. So okay, so now let me brag about my guest. Aaron Shelley is my guest today and he has a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering and is an MBA. He has worked with small businesses and startups where he's developed a unique set of systems uh, where perspective on business, oh, that show perspective on business and family. I totally butchered that, but he'll clarify when he gets on his work. In the academic and business worlds led him to understand how related our families and business dynamics are and how those two intertwine. Uh, He and his wife have run the largest Irish dance school in Utah for over 20 years, which I'm so excited to ask him about. He has built multiple companies, consulted across multiple industries and helped raise $54 million as the COO of a technology company. He lives in Utah currently with his wife and his four children. Please help me welcome Aaron Shelley to the show. Hi, Aaron. How are you? I'm doing great, Christine. It's good opportunity. I'm looking forward to this. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, the show is supposed to be fun, but it also is supposed to be informative. But what is the better way to learn, right? By having fun. 
<laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. that's how kids learn. You're that's all you try to develop games and all these things. It's how do you make how do you make learning fun? And the better you do, the more people learn without thinking they're learning. I mean, I think we can quote that because that's exactly right. It's about it's about kind of learning being sort of the collateral effect because you're actually having so much fun. It's kind of that cornerstone of entrepreneurship, right? When you do something you love, it, it doesn't feel like work. Same idea. Yeah. And I think it's, it's sometimes when you see the challenges, I think if you program your brain and kind of think of these as these are the opportunities for me to learn, then you're looking at this challenge, not as, oh my gosh, I have another problem. You're looking at it like, this is another opportunity for me to learn and overcome something you know, I mean, like if you're in the in the gym, you're always like, I'm lifting more weight. And I think the same can be applied if we just tweak our perspective a little bit on the challenges of business. Absolutely. You're like speaking my language, I will say. Okay, Aaron, we do this thing at the beginning of the show where we get to want to get to know our guests a little bit. So I'm going to ask you some like personal questions, not deeply personal, but just like things about who you are and what you do and so forth. And they're just this or that questions and uh, just tell me what comes to mind right away. Okay. All right. Dancing or hiking? <sighs> Probably hiking. I just went oh. dancing yesterday. <laughs> wow. Well, I am surprised by the answer because I wanted to dig deep into your Irish dancing background. I, I don't have an Irish dancing background myself. My wife does. She's done it for 30 years or whatever since she was a small kid. She taught at a university and all this stuff. So I mean, I love the dancing side, but for me personally, and I did country dancing yesterday, but just, uh, yeah, generally I've done a lot more hiking. I'm in Utah. So we hike, like we have five national parks that are phenomenal and I live on the foothills. So we go do that all the time. So I yeah. love hiking, love the outdoors. Well, there you go. I just learned a new thing about you. Uh, that is in addition to your bio that the idea of Irish dancing seems so different. And I just was so curious about that, but it is the the way that you support your wife, it sounds like. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's amazing. And um, if you were to pick a sport that you would love to like excel at, what would that be? Uh, volleyball. I mean, I, I do well. I play it all the time. Just you're always, there's always people better. And I'm like, oh, I'm just getting into the, I'm older. I'm, I just remember I have my son who's 20. I used to play with him and he's just so much better. And I'm like, if I could be better <laughs> well, you're better than you at things when you i know when your kids start getting better at things than you, better than you it, it, it gets a little bit interesting right but i think that when you play with people who are better you get better right yeah i yeah. know it's a lot of fun but yeah, i play it every week and so i'm just like constantly reminded about how i'm not as good as i was and how i wish i was better yeah. Well, I think that we're always trying to improve as business owners and people who have are high achievers. Okay. I have one more question. What is that? What is that sport where you throw a spear? The javelin? Yeah. Did you ever do that? I did that in high school. Yep. Went to <laughs> state, had a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of close calls where you're like, that That was a foot away from my foot. So yeah. So it's be dangerous. Oh yeah. That's why it's, I don't think they do it in I don't even know if they do it in Utah anymore. They, I know it wasn't available in most of the bigger states. California had it. You know, there's all the safety things out there. So my wife grew up in California. She's like, we didn't have that. I'm like, yeah, you wouldn't. <laughs> Not in California. <laughs> no. Gotta We're be safer. Safe. 
<laughs> we're a very safe state. Uh-huh. <laughs> Risks. Yeah. All right. Well, it's a pleasure to have you, a pleasure to get to know you. And I just want to start really talking about the topic that I um that I was so intrigued by when I was looking at, you know, what you've done and and what you continue to do. And one of the things that you have made uh, that you believe and that is kind of a foundation of the things that you work that you do is that you know, your personal journey, your personal life, your family life is sort of the foundation and that it is directly proportional to how well you do in business. So can you elaborate on that um, idea a little bit for us? Yeah. I mean, when I looked at this, I don't see there's, there's not this big difference between business and family. There's not this like families are run super differently and a business is run a different way. We're all making the same decisions. We have money, we have resources, we're trying to optimize for certain outcomes. And so I think if you're taking your business and you're saying, no, we don't want to have any of these family elements, you know, like love and caring for each other and those type of things in a business, then you miss something. Just like in a family, if you're like, well, we're not going to think about money and we're not going to budget and we're not, well, then you have very bad outcomes on the family side. And so I think that the rules that govern each one, there's massive overlap. And I think sometimes people will get caught up. Well, I don't want my family to be run like a business. You're like, why? Like in a business, you can't be a total a-hole usually to all the people involved, even if you're the CEO, because you'll people will just quit. And yeah. I think sometimes people will be like, well, who's the CEO of the family? And usually it's it's one of the couple, but you're like, but that doesn't mean you treat the other people badly. If anything, you're trying to keep them in, involved and keep them happy. You don't want your employees and your other partners to be in a bad space. So that's where I think there's a lot of people have kind of tried to separate it, but I look at it much more closely. And I think frankly, this new generation and the way they perceive business is really trying to blend it much more. Yeah. Well, and you make a good point because, you know, as we talk about millennials and what they want out of life, they really are looking to target more of a work-life balance, right? They talk about that a lot. And um, just the way the world is working now in terms of, you know, the convenience is being able to work from home virtually and all those things really have facilitated sort of... like not separating family and business. And so there are pros and cons to that. But I totally agree with what you're saying. When I talk about company culture, when it comes to business, um, because a lot of the work that I do with branding involves an, a, a part of how do you really create a company culture that is meaningful, that keeps people wanting to be invested in your business. And it a lot of it has to do with how, you, you know, treating them like you care about them, treating them like you care about their dreams so that they will care about your dreams. So I've talked about it in that way. I've never really talked about it in the way that we're talking about it today, where, you know, you run your home like you're the CEO of your house, right? Of your household. And so a lot of those principles when it comes to finances and um, entertainment and all the things that you would do in your business and company can really, there are parallels in the in, in your family life. So I, I really think it's so cool that we're kind of uh, framing it. And like, because people know a lot of these concepts, but when you define it, when you have a clear vision of how, how that is, it actually maybe might help you work towards the goals better, don't you think? Yeah, I think a lot of it, your goals should be not just in one sphere either, right? I mean, if you're an entrepreneur, it's not, I want to build my business and I don't care about my family for the next 10 years, (laughs) you know, or or I I care about my family and I'm going to neglect my business for the next. It's always trying to find a balance. There's always these trade-offs. 
So I think it's a lot about trying to understand those trade-offs and making the right trade-offs based on what you're trying to accomplish. Right. Right. And a lot of times I do think people make a trade-off and I think it's a poor one, which is I'm going to not focus on my relationship with my spouse and my children, and I'm going to try to build the business. And then at the end of that, you know, 10 year period, you might be a successful entrepreneur and your wife or your husband hates you and your kids hate you. And you're like, well, I didn't balance that very well. And then you sit there and go like, why am I even working? Why do I even want all this money? Like, what's the point of having it all? It's not just because I want it. It's you're usually going back to what's for the people I love. And so it's this interesting place. If you over-focus in an area like it's just like in a business, if you over focusing on marketing and sales and you're not focusing on your product, then a lot of people will churn out of your business. Yeah. And so it's really trying to keep your product and sales kind of at a, an even spot and investing in both. And so it's a little bit of balancing the growth of your business. If you don't, and I've seen that where you just have this sales organization that's getting all the sales and then everyone churns out and you're like, you're just a leaky bucket syndrome. The same thing applies in our family where we got to really have good relationships because at the end, if we don't have them, what was the point of all do, of doing it all anyway? I know that that is really that's exactly right. Why um, you say that marriages shouldn't be 50 50? What, what does that mean? I, I don't know that a business if you think about a business, it's not 50 50. You know, if you and I went into business where you talk about you have your, you know, this your Rick who's helping you out, you're sitting there like, I want people to be a hundred percent. Like in a, in essence, the equity of a family is always 50, 50, unless you have a prenup or something. And at that point, if you're like, well, you need to do 50% of the editing and then he needs to do 50% of the interviewing, it doesn't even make sense. You're like, no, we specialize. And so I think in a family, it's like, I'm out, you know, at one point I'm up on the roof, it's a rainy night and our house is leaking and I'm trying to tarp it up so that we don't have this leak in our house. How do I 50-50 that with my wife? Like, I legitimately don't want her on the roof because I don't want her to get hurt because I want to protect her. Is that worth like 10 times of her loading the dishwasher? Like this whole like keeping tabs on things, we don't do it in business. If you're in sales and I'm in marketing, we appreciate each other. We understand how related we are and that my job helps you and your, your job helps me. We realize the synergies and we don't sit there and go like, but it's not fair. And that's why I say when people get into this kind of quid pro quo, I get this, you get this, instead of saying what's best for the business, then you have problems. So it's got to be a hundred. I mean, imagine if you interviewed someone and they said, I will give you 50%. You would say, I'm not hiring you immediately. And that's why I say like, when you go into a job, it's a hundred percent. When you go into a relationship, it should be a hundred percent. It shouldn't be this Hey, but you're getting slightly more. You spent $100 on this thing. I need to spend $100 on my thing. It just, why? If that's not the best thing for the family, why are you doing it? Right. It's it's not about keeping score, right? I mean, especially when you're in a, in relationships, whether it's a business relationship or a family relationship, you're, you have a symbiotic relationship. It's more, you know, um, like you said, each person has a specialty. For instance, uh, you know, when my children were young, I decided, my husband and I decided I stay home with the kids to rear them. And it was my job. And he was the provider and he continued to be for a long time. But there was, it wasn't, 
and I think it goes back to like this stay at home moms being like the most under under appreciated <laughs> business ever, right? Um, there's a lot of work that goes into that that not not, not a lot of people want to do. So there is that sort of give and take that you're not doing exactly the same thing, but you're doing equally important things. It's kind of like a car, right? An engine needs a piston and it needs. I don't know what else, a motor, <laughs> you know, you it can't run without one or the other, but they're not exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. I, I use the term complementary because I'm like, you want to have this complementary skill set. Just like if you and I were going into a business, we want someone who's the face of the company, like you currently are. And then we want someone in the backside and they're different jobs in the family. And I break up the resources in so that people can see this. If you look at a family, you have financial resources, you have social resources, and you have human resources. And those social resources, that's a lot of the serving and investing. And what you find is, I think women who are the stay-at-home moms, traditionally, we're doing a lot of the social resources. I would say in a company, that's like your sales and marketing, right? And it's hard. Everyone knows that you can never put a value on a brand. Like we put it on a balance sheet, but no one knows what the actual down to the last number, the value of Nike is, right? right? And, but we, so we kind of put it on a balance sheet to say, well, eh, it's okay. We don't know the value of PR. There's so many things in marketing we don't know the value of. And so sometimes we under, um, we over, we under index for them. We go, oh, sales is more important than marketing because they're the ones making the money and PR, we don't know what they're doing. But then if you cut that off, then all of a sudden sales is like, well, I don't have the leads and it's harder for me to work. So this is the balance you see in the, in the financial world, in the business world we have to deal with. And we have the same thing at home. I mean, if you look at when you're a stay at home mom, I think this is where I, I, I've broken it down. I'm like, the mom is really playing the HR department role. She is a therapist for her children. Right. When the kids come home, she's trying to help them process it. She's usually also helping in the community, helping serving in the school, developing all these connections. And what I've seen is that's just like the sales and marketing of a business. And a lot of times now you have people who are like, oh, we're in this relationship and both of us are going to work full time. And then you go, why are kids having mental health issues? Why does our community feel so detached? Why do we feel all lonely? Well, because no one's investing in it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So true. It's really really true. Um, you know, I heard someone once say that um, the most important business partner you choose is your spouse. Do you have, I, I just, it was, uh, do you have a, a thought on that or do you, have you ever heard that term? I've heard it and I completely agree with it. I have a, an idea that I talk about sometimes from a, a weird perspective where I say, don't, you want to hire a spouse. Like if you look at when you're hiring someone, you're thinking, what is the job description that I want them to do? And what am I offering to them as kind of the other side? And what is the cultural values that they need to be part of? Like if you try to put together a job description for a company, you're very thoughtful about what it is. Whereas I think a lot of people now are not in this hiring thought of, well, I'm trying to find someone who's going to be a good partner for me. Like I think Donald Trump his spouse was needed. He needed a very different spouse or a president, you know, like Obama, any of these people who are high profile, they needed a different spouse than I needed because they needed more of a socialite. And they probably wanted someone who was more connected in some of these upper echelons, you know? So you look at these things and you're like, you don't need the same partner. Just like in business, if you are a startup, you don't need the same CTO as you need if you're Google. 
So it's it's really looking and saying, where am I? What is my culture? What is my needs? What is my strategy? And who do I need to be successful? And then looking through people from that sphere, because we all know there's there's amazing people out there, but you're kind of like, I couldn't work with them, or they're not the right people for our company right now. And it's the same thing in a marital relationship where you're like, yeah, this is an amazing person, but it's not the amazing person that I need for my life. And so I think it's a little bit more about, I mean, and we say this in the business world, the worst mistake you ever make is hiring the wrong people, right. wrong person. And it's the same in your family. Like the worst mistake you ever make is marrying the wrong person because you have such a financial loss. Well, just all your resources can be challenged when you have that breakup. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the another thing you talk about a lot is the ba- family business model. Did did we already touch on that, or can you can you expand on that a little bit? Well, so I the business model as I talk about it is the engine that fuels and creates resources, right? So if you look at Google, they have a strategy that is to organize the world's data, or that's what it was at one point. And their structure was we're going to be a very flat organization, and then their last piece of the business model was their culture. And they had a culture of freedom. Like, you know, if you work the best at 2 a.m., you work at 2 a.m. So that's their business model. And their mission was, well, you know, what do we do? We buy more data centers. We hire more engineers. So it's very clear what they do with their resources. Now you compare that to Walmart. Walmart's strategy is to, you know, provide families with reasonably, you know, good, I don't remember what it was, reasonable, good, good stuff at a good price, I think is what it was. That's their mission. Then their structure is, you have to be at, you know, very hierarchical. You have to be at the right place. They, at the right time, their culture was, you know, if you don't show up on time, you're fired. It's not about being creative and you want to do your best work at 2 a.m. Cool. We don't want to hire you. So their business model was vastly different from Google's. Yeah. And yet both of these companies are multi-billion dollar companies and super successful. So a business model is really is your mission, your structure, and your culture aligned. And that is your business model that's making the decisions for what to do with your time, your money, and your relationships. Yeah, you know, it, it's like uh, it, re- it resonates in the same way that like th- your core values. What are your core values as a company? Mm-hmm. Uh, and your core values are different perhaps than a different company. If your core values are that people have a free schedule, something that is a little bit loose, then that is that is what you create. But if it's more, you have to be stringent, a little bit more structured, then that's different. But like you gave the two examples, very um, both very successful. It just depends on what your core values are are. And I see the parallel with in families, right? What are the core values of a certain family? What are the values that live by, you know, and those are the things that attract people to each other in terms of, you know, when they're looking for a spouse is like, really, what are, what va- do we have the important values in common or not? Then, you know, that, and that, um, you know, perhaps predicts how things, how successful a family will be. Uh, I think that um, I think it's really cool to kind of have this. I understand this idea that if you can run your family like on a business model, and that's not being unemotional about it. It's just being thoughtful, actually, and intentional about how you how the success you want to reach and the dreams you want to build within the family unit for each of the individuals, um, and also to think about businesses in terms of family. Right? I, I think when you do both of those things, you kind of have sort of the practical piece in each model in your business and in your home, but you also have the, um, 
that that sort of human piece, right? So I I think that's so interesting in the way that um, that you you know you explain that. Um, and you talked a lot about homemakers. I had a question here about homemakers and their social investments, and I know you talked about that because see, I started my business as a tribute to to women who stayed home with their children because I felt as though they tended to sacrifice themselves the way that they showed up. Um, <coughs> excuse me, in an effort to, um, <coughs> excuse me, to, to sacrifice for the family, to sacrifice for all the things that they do, all the hats that they wear in and out of the home for the community, for the school, for, but I also <clears throat> didn't agree that you need to sacrifice yourself to, to, to do all those things that you could do all those things and still <clears throat> do manage yourself and and take care of yourself as a as a woman, right? Um, so this whole idea about homemakers and their social investments, those are the kind of those invisible things, right? That the invisible actions, those things that happen in between the lines that nobody knows about. But where do you see it? You see it in the success of the children, you see it in the people that they become, you see it in the humans they become and what they contribute to the world. And I don't think people, I don't think our world <laughs> necessarily gives enough credit to that role. So I think it's really cool that you think about it in that way. So would, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think the easiest, I, part of the reason I wrote the book is because I was reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I love his stuff, right? It really told, showed me the, fan, the flywheel as it relates to finances, right? You, you have assets, those assets produce money, you use that money or that they produce income, you use the cash flow then to buy more assets. That's like this basic flywheel. But then as you expand that, I noticed in my own relationship, there were things when you just focus on finance, like at one point I made an investment in real estate in 2007, right before 2008 hit, which was this great decline and lost a quarter of a million dollars. And I noticed I lost money, but I also, my mental health also got screwed, right? I was in this state of, I'm supposed to be a provider, and I'm supposed to be this great, you know, pro provide for my family. And now I'm like an unprovider, you know, <laughs> like I've done the opposite. And I was like, my wife would be better off with someone else, right? I'm sucking at this job. And, you know, going through that experience, I would have, if I had not had the social connections or if my wife had been like, yeah, you suck, I'm out. It would have been bad, but instead we kind of went through that. So I think there's that element of, we, we, there's not just the finances. And if we focus on that, we're in trouble. But there's a story of, of Mary Gates, Bill Gates' mother that I like to tell, where she got a degree. She was a teacher. She married her husband, who's a lawyer. And then she had three children, then exited the workforce. She invested in her kids. And then she started to serve in the community. Once she her kids were a little older, she served on the board of University of Washington. And then she served on the board of United Way. Those are what I would call social connections. Well, happens that the board of United Way also contained the CEO of IBM. That was one of the prime, premier or greatest connections for Bill Gates. And mm -hmm. that was with IBM and Microsoft. You know, that could have been a $200 billion connection that she did because she was investing in social relationships. Yeah. Again, this is what I'm talking about. If we're only focused on the finances, she had been like, well, my kids are out. I'm going back to school. I'm making my $30,000, $40,000 a year. Her family would have been much worse off because she was essentially ignoring the opportunity to do this social investing. And that's where I think if people can understand the social investing and human resource investing, 
Then they look at the wife who's staying home. They're like, thank you for investing in the human resources of our family. You're investing in our health. In fact, that's why most married men do better in, you know, in the workforce, they make more money because their wife is helping them and taking care of their health, which most men suck at taking care of our own health. Right. So this is where I see this example of social resources and social investing of Mary Gates had massive returns. And yet no one would have looked at those and said, oh, this is going to be phenomenal. This is what she should be doing. It's amazing. I, I, that that example is like such a powerful example of what <clears throat> I was saying. And that is that those things that maybe nobody else would realize happened and that led to um, that promise or opportunity. It's like you don't know the missed opportunity, right? If you don't work for it, it's this sort of nebulous, invisible thing. But that, and you know, maybe that's why they say that, um, you know, uh, behind every successful man, there's a woman. And I know that doesn't necessarily always work out that way because men also support women in multiple Uh ways, but it's sort of that support that you get that is invisible that nobody knows about, but that leads to things that are great. So I, I love that you 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 really highlight sort of that social investment because it's not always about the one churning out the money, right? There's so many other things that go into the success of an organization or a family. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's, it's the same way if you go into almost all companies, the sales guys are the sexy ones, right? Because yeah. they're the ones that bring in the money. You're like, oh, I just closed this deal. Oh, I'm so I'm so great. And you're like, cool, but we're the ones who built the thing you're selling. And we're the ones who have to support the customers that you just sold to. So if yeah. you guys think you're all that and a bag of chips and you think you're just, you want to act like a-holes, then we will, we can just exit this thing, right? It's the same thing where people, if you don't appreciate, you know, the developers who build this product and they're like interacting with computers, and as a salesperson, I could be like, that's phenomenal. I'm so glad you like to play with computers because I like to not do that. I like to interact with humans. And then you can say that salespeople can look at the developers and say, I'm so glad you exist. And the developers can say the same thing because they don't want to interact with humans. So they're like, I'm so glad you do your job. It's this great complementary system in a business. And if those things get out of whack and the sales guys get this heavy heads and, oh, I'm so great then all of a sudden it deteriorates. And you see the same thing happens in marriages when, oh, my wife's doing all this and I'm doing this. And I think the money I'm bringing in is more important. Okay. Then your wife will probably be like, screw you. Right. Or vice versa. If the wife's like, the thing I'm doing is most important. You need to come home from work and you need to do all these jobs. What do you mean? I just spent (laughs) 10 hours busting my butt. I need to relax. Right. It needs to be a mutual respect for each other. And neither one is more important necessarily than the other. They're both equally important. And it's really when we start to weigh each other, kind of back to that 50-50 thing and be like, well, how much is $1,000 of income versus it just gets stupid, right? We're both in this together. We should be focused on the family and our our needs being met in the family, not necessarily, well, what about mine as an individual? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, so this brings up a a, a question that may be not kind of on my script, but you know, it takes two people to tango, right? It takes two people <laughs> to be committed to this model. And one can only be in control of the, their own self. So say you were dealing with or you or you had a couple that was talking to you, but you recognize that one of them may not be that hundred 
one of them is 100% invested. The other one's 50% thinking, you know, the tip for tat. How do people, how would you advise that couple? And, you know, um, any thoughts on that additional? Because that that's that can happen. <laughs> oh, for sure. I would say an early part of this would be structural. If you look in a business, we have regular meetings to keep our to keep on the same trajectory and to stay aligned, right? Because we understand that product and sales, they kind of drift off and maybe product built something and sales doesn't know how to sell it. And so then they're not getting the value out of it. So in a business, we constantly have these meetings, weekly meetings, usually with executives, you know, quarterly meetings with the team, annual plannings, and all those things, if you look at them, it's trying to keep everyone in the company aligned and motivated. And so you see in our own families, rarely do I see families that are doing weekly, quarterly, and annual plannings. Yeah. And so it's like, well, then what are you happening over time? You're getting unaligned. So to me, whenever you're talking with a couple, you know, I may be like, I'm 100% in because I want to build this business for the next 10 years. And my wife might be like, but I, this happened a little bit. I mean, for us, my wife's like, but I really want to take our kids on a trip to Austria because her family's from Austria. That's where her dad grew up. I want our whole family to go there. And I'm like, okay, let's, we have to figure out how to make some trade-offs here, but what are our overall goals? What's our overall strategy we're both playing to? And then we can make those trade-offs. And so I ended up taking consulting jobs and staying kind of free so that I could take a month trip with my family and my wife, because that was what was important to her. So I think it's this constant coming back together because we're constantly, as entrepreneurs, especially, we're constantly learning. We're constantly growing. We want this. And if your spouse is not constantly learning and growing, then you get out of alignment. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's much more about these regular structured things that are trying to maintain alignment. Like, and in a marriage, you know, there's the sexual needs, there's, there's all these, there's the financial needs, there's the raising of the kids, there's, and those things change over time, right? The demands of when you have a baby are different than when it's a five-year-old are different when you have teenagers yeah. and then are different when all your kids are out of the house. So there's yeah. kind of these phases. And I think if people don't plan on the phases, then, and then don't realize those phases are going to change, then they end up with some issues because they're like, well, all the kids are out of the house. And the guy's like, well, if he's working, he's like, I just keep doing my thing. And the wife's like, but what the freak do I do? Because I used to spend <laughs> 60 hours a week with these freaking kids. Now I have this whole time freed up. Yeah. So I think there's those challenges, but a lot of it's just getting that alignment and getting back to a place And if you're not in alignment, then you need to, you may need to either try to get back, but if you can't, then you may need to separate. Yeah. It's interesting. You look at like family, it's like a team, right? It's like a team and it's like any team, like a football team. If, if one of the players is, is kind of focused on themselves and not being the star and not playing as a team, it takes the team down. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's really a lot like that. It's like working as a team. It's like, it really is very fascinating, you know, um, just the basic principles that apply in life, (laughs) just going back to the basics, right? Back to the basics, the basic family structure, the basic business structure, what's important, culture, team, social, you know, entertainment, finances, all those basic things. You got that same model in all aspects of your life. So, um, you know, even like, even like we, you said at the top of the show, even in your fitness, right? Every, I also, I believe that when you go into the gym to work out, it's like whatever, however you work out at the gym is like how you act in real life, because it's sort of that, 
that value system, that way you think, the way you work. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in a gym, but whatever activity you do to, to stay healthy. Um, so like it's so it's back to the basics. It's like not that complicated. It's just working as a team and um and sort of the basic things that everything, every part and module of your life needs is the same thing, just a different, different team. Yeah. I mean, I look at the base, like I agree with your basics. If you look at most most companies I've been with, they're like one-on-ones are very important with all of your subordinates, right? And regular meetings with the executive team or with your co-founders are really important. Well, do we do those with our kids? Yeah. Do we do those with our spouse? You know, what type of structure do we have? Because I, 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 most people, if you talk about meetings, they're like, I totally hate meetings. They're so boring. I wish I didn't have to be. Because there's usually a little bit of over meetings. But then I've experimented. And you take away meetings, and then everyone's like, I don't know what's going on. I feel like I don't, I have no communication. And so it needs to be a balance of those things. And that's where I think a lot of times people, you need to have some way of staying in touch with your spouse and staying in touch with your children. You need to have some some way of staying in touch with your children, with your employees, with your founders. And if you don't do those things, over time, you will see drift. And then you'll be, and if you ignore it for years and years, you see massive drift. And then you're like, you know, it's like an airplane. They always talk about how airplanes are always off course by a degree or two. And they're constantly kind of trying to stay on course and have to readjust. It's the same thing with your, with any business. It's the same thing with any relationship. It's, you always have to realign. And sometimes your spouse may be like, well, I've changed what I want to do. I want to try this. All right. Well, if we're totally changing our business strategy, do I still want to be involved? Like, how are we going to make this work? Yeah. And so that's that's where I just think there's a lot of logistics and a lot of smaller things that people ignore. And then it comes up to they're like, well, this did, my business didn't work out. Well, you know, like if you're talking about marketing, were you posting on social media regularly? Were you emailing? Were you building? Were you doing this on a regular basis? Well, no, I did it once. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Duh. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's doing all the things. It's doing all the things and staying consistent with it. It's not just doing them, but being consistent. And same goes with business. Same goes with family. So fascinating, uh, Aaron. It's it, it was it, this conversation is like um, so uh, basic. It's so essential. <laughs> essential is the better word to really being able to map out success to your goals, whether you're in business, in your business, or in your family unit. Um, and we always wrap up with sort of a summary of the show. If you know if people were listening just to the end of the show and they want to get a summary, a recap, what is the one takeaway that you would like people to have remembered from this conversation? The biggest thing I think would be the concept of social resources in a family and in a business, but especially the family and investing in those. Mm. because if you, you look at a lot of things, if you start to look at your social resources and then you look at things like moving, Oh, I moved all of a sudden, all those people I invested in, those are now cut off. Maybe I still have a little bit on social media, but all those relationships are gone. Maybe I should value that more when every time I consider moving rather than just going, well, I'm going to make more money. Right. So I'm going to move. So it's really trying to look at your social resources and say, am I investing in them? Am I using them? I mean, my job at my last company was a friend who I'd known for 13 years. We were in the same church. We just talked about business and then came an opportunity. So he was like, hey, you want to come work with us? So 
the more that we understand social resources and invest in them, I think we'll have the Bill Gates scenario, like with his mom, where you start to see exponential returns. Whereas if you ignore it, I think you're going to get just linear returns and you're going to end up probably fairly lonely and screwed up, frankly. Well, that that is uh, very profound. And I think everybody's going to give that some thought because, I mean, I... I I, I think that even though we're simplifying this, it really is such, and we talk about this being essential and foundation, foundational, these are the foundations of life, right? The social piece, the financial piece, all those things. So um, if you have a, do you have a tip or two to leave the audience with? Um, on social resources, a tip I would say, do service. Service, oh. in most cases, if you go into, you serve in the arts community, you usually have wealthy people that you can be connected with. And those, not that you're trying to necessarily look at all these resources and exploit them, but it's like, as soon as you're going in servicing, if it's in the arts, if it's in a church, if it's in a sports group, you start to build up those social relationships and it's not for money. And I think so much right now we've over-indexed on money and it's just hurting us in so many ways. Yeah. You know, that is actually so aligned with a basic cornerstone of entrepreneurship, which is giving, being a go-giver, right? Giving, 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 and then things happen. They just happen. They come to you, right? Uh, how about a tool? Is there a tool the audience can utilize to help them kind of think through this concept? Yeah. So I have on my website, thefamilyflywheel.com, I have, a, I have some book resources there and they'll help you go through and identify all your resources as well as um, identify your business model. If, you, if you're married, I would advise doing it separately and then bringing them together and being like, what's our culture? What's your culture? Mm, are we aligned or do we have some friction? Because those are the things that are going to cause the most friction in your relationships, whether it's business or family. Very useful to go through that exercise separately and then bring them together to look for any friction areas. Yeah. Well, with the hashtag fam, biz and shine, if, uh, if people are listening to this on the replay or live, you put in that hashtag, we will actually get you that link and make it really easy for you guys to get it. Um, thank you for that tool, Aaron. And the hashtag is hashtag fam business, fam, biz and shine. Um, let's put people right into action. Let's say somebody's listening to this and they're like, I'm convinced I got to do something. What would be that one action item they can do? So that something easy that they that doesn't require a lot that they can do to get started. To, um, I mean, I would probably say go through those resources, look at look at what resources you really have, mm -hmm. and then I would say look into your social net, look into your network of friends, family, whatever, and find people you think are successful and try to connect to them, not from a standpoint of. I want something from you monetarily because most of the time that's rebuffed heavily. Yeah. I do the same, but yeah. more from the standpoint of, I want to understand what you did and how you did it. Because I think in almost all, in almost all cases, I've seen very successful people. They love to help people who are trying to help themselves. They just hate people or hate trying to help people who are just looking for handouts. Oh, of course. Yeah. That, I mean, that's sort of the cornerstone of, you know, just being a go-giver, not thinking about what it is in it for you, really just kind of giving. But um, I think a great action item would be to set up a, a meeting, <laughs> like go, go, go set up your company meeting right now or your family meeting right now and kind of like start setting a cadence for that. Because like, 
if it, whether it's monthly or weekly or quarterly, whatever, but have that consistency. So that's what I got out of it as my action item. <laughs> that, that's good as well. I will say trying to do some things as a business, like weekly, like really structured goal meetings that tended not to work very well. It seems like on a monthly basis, just trying to keep a, having a touch point and then a quarterly planning is really useful. Yeah. yeah we want a manageable goal so they actually get done right. Mm-hmm. Aaron, it was wonderful having you on the show today. Thank you so much for enriching us with your experience and knowledge and just this great idea that, you know, uh, we get back to the basics, the foundation of life, really. The foundation for our business is similar to what the foundation for our family structure should be and um, really applying that. It's a good way. It's a great rule of thumb. Makes it easy. It makes it easy to think about and and plan, right? That, that's, that was my goal. So yeah. thanks a lot, Christine. Appreciate it a lot. Thank you so much. There you have it, Waste Up Wardrobe Nation, uh, episode on how your family and your business structures are quite similar, just, you know, just in different teams. So um, thank you for being here and watching this episode. A comment in the in the comments. Let us know what you think and what you thought of this episode. And you know that we're going to be here next week at the same time live at Thank you so much. It's like a, a conversation that really resonates with me personally because I think of things in those terms. So really awesome. Yeah, thanks a lot. I agree. It's it seems like all the entrepreneurs I talk about, they're like, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> and some of it's like, I should be thinking about that. I should have done that. I do all this stuff in the one sphere. I just haven't taken it to the other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, in our businesses, we build out like um a vision, a big picture vision. Like, I mean. I have my kids plan out their big picture visions, like from a young age, like one of my, one of my kids to the point where one of my kids, you know, we, we, we go, we have our, our church regular that we're attached to. And my youngest, which I'd never heard this before. I told him, so what, what should we put on your vision plan? Right. And he's like, I want to make it into heaven. I'm like, oh, okay. I never even thought about putting that on my big picture vision. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's so funny. You can get into heads of your kids that way. My oldest is 22. My youngest is 12. And then I have 15 and 18 in the middle. So, and I, you said, do you have a old, your oldest is 20? No, well, my it's 22, 20, 18, 16. Okay. Yeah. So a little bit kind of similar. I have a much younger 12 year old, but you know, <laughs> life with life with four, right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's, I'm really looking like my daughter's going to be a senior this year. So now it's, oh, the empty nest is coming. What do those transitions look like? <clears throat> and that's the best part. That's the best part. That's the part where you and your wife will get to do all the things that you've launched them, right? 
I look at it maybe different. I'm like, my kids, they become so fun. Like I spent all this time training them. And now I'm like, and it's fun to interact with them. Like with my son to play volleyball, it's so much fun now. I'm like, oh, you're crushing it. And then he's like, no, I got to go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. oh, so I, I think there's a point for me. I don't know. It's I think a lot of it for, especially for men is like, how do I invest in the family? And there was a lot of stuff where I looked at it. I think most men are like, I invest in the family by doing my job. Yeah. And they didn't spend enough time investing in the kids. And so they didn't maybe tighten those relationships up the same way. And that's where I've seen it. I've kind of gone the other way. Like I've gone scuba diving with my kids. I've done skiing with my kids. We've done it all together as a family. So it's really like going through these experiences, uh, and, and there's some pieces, some of the books that I've seen that have like pushed that, like, here's what the dad needs to do. So I've tried to pull the kids into the stuff that I want to do rather than getting pulled into all their stuff. So all my kids played volleyball with me. We've all skied, we've all mountain biked, we've all done these things. So <clears throat> I think if, if you, if you look at it in one way, I think you can actually make for a really successful kids and family. Yeah, no. And, and also a very enriched life. I mean, that's a kind of the beauty of it. Right. But, uh, I think that each season of life is like you said, it takes, you know, there's transitions. Um, but I also think that when each parent keeps their eye on the family, I think that's, that's where, um, I think that's where true success happens because you end up investing in your relationship with your kids and your husband, and all those things. So it's really, um, powerful. So, um, <clears throat> Rick, I'm sure has something to say about this. Uh, Rick, come on, come on down. <laughs> Where's the behind the scenes guy? Hey, what? He wants to see behind the scenes, but we want to hear his his perspective. Uh, about what? Which one? About family. Oh well, I have to agree with Aaron because <clears throat> there, there there must be something in the air, huh, Christine? Yeah. God. Um. <clears throat> so I have uh a 30-year-old and a 27-year-old daughter, and then a 15-year-old son. So there's a bit of a gap, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I worked in corporate America for, gosh, 25 years. Yeah, a little over 25 years. And I missed a lot of those little things, right, with the girls early on because I was so focused on the job and providing and just, you know, trying to be successful and all those different things. And so when Dylan came along... 15 years ago, I had an opportunity to step away and kind of reevaluate things because I wasn't, you know, back then I didn't have, I, I wasn't thinking that I'd ever get a second chance. So I just plowed ahead. Um, and all of a sudden it just hit me. It hit us, you know, when Dylan was born that now you have a, here's your second chance. Don't mess it up. <laughs> right. And so I pulled away from corporate and I'm still doing the things that I used to do, but now as my own business, right. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, I made a commitment to, to myself, number one, as well as to, uh, my wife that, um, I wasn't going to miss the little things. I wasn't going to miss the, the, you know, the middle school graduations or the elementary graduations or any of those little, you know, things that we, we have to endure as parents. Um, and, uh, and it's given me a much better perspective and, uh, created a much stronger relationship with my son um, because I focused on that. Right. Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great when, when like you really think of your family as sort of, you keep that eye focused on the family. And 
everybody goes through different times, right? Like you were saying, Aaron, like sometimes in business, you focus on, you know, PR, but then you forget that you have to have sales. So it's really, sometimes it really is about maybe not doing as much in a certain area and real then recognizing and being aware, oh, oops, I'm dropping, I'm, I'm dropping the ball in this area and kind of getting back to it. So because people aren't perfect, we're human things, you know, we, we make mistakes, we don't see it clearly sometimes. And so um, it's just the idea of being aware and, and, and um, constantly working to be better, right? Yeah, well, one, one of the weird areas that I saw was like, there seems to be these roles of a challenger and a nurturer in most families. Uh-huh. And, and it's not always the man or the woman in my family. I tend to be the challenger. My wife's the nurturer. Uh-huh. And it seems like if you miss out on one of those roles, you either get over challenged where then you hate to do things or you get over nurtured where you're overprotected from everything. Yeah. And so it's kind of these places where, and in the, in the book, uh, the boy crisis, it talks about how a lot of men, they play with their kids, but they play with them on the edge of their skills. You're like, Oh, let's go play basketball. And I, if my kid's trying, I'm going to let him, I'm going to loosen up and let him be successful. But if he starts to slack off, then I'm going to, start to shut them down. Like there's kind of this, this, this give and take with a lot of guys where they play with them, but it's kind of like, it's, it's developmental play. So men are trying to play or the challenger is trying to play with them on the edge of their skills. And they talked about how a lot of men, like I, I it was funny. Cause I saw this, like the men will sing nursery rhymes wrong to their kids. Like my wife will sing the thing exactly right every time, but I'll sing it tweak the words a little bit every time and the kids will be like, what? So there's kind of this curiosity that a lot of times men or the challenger person will keep in their kids that kind of pushes them intellectually and pushes them physically and spiritually. So that's one of the roles that if you see when, and I don't know what your experience was, Rick, but that's what I've seen with some of the kids is, and that's really where men bond with their kids is when their kids are having problems, (laughs) you know? So that's where I've seen some of that happen. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I found myself early on kind of doing that when he was younger, you know, and I didn't want to crush him. Um, I, you know, I'm gol- I'm a golfer and, and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, he was in, in uh, flag football and stuff like that, right? And so we'd, we would throw around and I'd actually challenge him a little bit um, with, uh, you know, throwing the baseball around and throwing the football around and throw it a little harder than what he would expect, you know, during a normal game and all that stuff. And then got to the point where he's, you know, he, he just finished his freshman year, but about a year ago, um, he was learning how to play volleyball. And, and I noticed that, okay, we're, we're going to do something that's going to help your reaction time to the ball. And so I put him on, we, we started going to the racquetball court, um, at, at our local YMCA's. And so we were playing racquetball and, you know, I didn't, I kind of let him get used to it. And then I started playing like I normally play, like uh, against other players, right? Just to force him to really start reacting to the ball and the action off the wall and all that stuff. And then we got, he actually got started getting pretty good. And then last April I was playing with him and I was, <clears throat> he started getting really competitive, right? And he, uh, uh, he hit one in the front wall and I thought, there's no way I'm going to let that thing drop. And so I just, you know, I went driving for it in the front corner, reached out as far as I could, and I kissed the wall with my head. Oh. Uh, and I believe I ended up getting a, you know, a slight concussion. I, mean, I didn't, I, I didn't uh, lose my, you know, I didn't get cloudy vision or, you know, dizziness or anything like that. But I had this big old goose egg. Two weeks later, I find out because I'm so competitive, you know, with him 
I found out, you know, my shoulder started reducing movement. I go, what the heck is going on here? You know, and uh, my wife's in the medical industry. And so we looked at it uh, under ultrasound and the right side looked great. Left side, there was like a ton of fluid. All the tendons were thickened. And it's like, holy cow. And I just, I shoved it off and thought, that's just tendonitis. You know, I'll just take some anti-inflams. No problem. So another two weeks later, I could hardly move it. It was painful. And so I ended up, you know, getting an MR and find out I tore my rotator cuff and labrum, <laughs> you know, just because I didn't want him to win. <laughs> well, you know, this whole thing about really scaffolding the kids, right? You, you kind of, it's like a give and take, a tug and pull, right? You want yeah. them to feel successful, but at the same time, like I've told my kids when we play games together, I'm like, mm, just because I'm your mom, I'm not going to let you win. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you want to kind of give them some, 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 you want to be a little bit in, in certain times, like give them a little, right? So it's, it's very interesting. It's sort of the scaffolding. And I don't know, I feel like sometimes some parents can be both a nurturer and the challenger. It, yeah, it can be. I'm not saying it, <clears throat> it's just sometimes it's hard if the kid comes to you as I need nurturing right now. And then you're yeah. like, get up. What's your problem? Yeah. You know, so there's, there's all these, and you know, it's the same thing if you're challenging and they want, or they're nurturing and then they need a challenge. It's just sometimes hard to weigh both of those. And I, you know, we all do that individually. I just noticed with myself, like the reason I wanted my kids to go scuba diving is because I'm like, it's a mental thing when you're like doing, you're getting in the water and you're going through this and you're like, I have to obey these rules. These aren't the mm -hmm. arbitrary parent rules. You know, these yeah. are the real rules or you and die. So, or you die. Yeah. And so it's yeah. kind of these places of how do you push your kids limits? And that's what I personally love is like when you like certain movies, I feel like the matrix was one of these, like open my brain, like, wow, that's a totally different way of looking at it. So it's kind of these, like, how do you give them experiences that change their worldview? Yeah. Yeah. And their, and their ideas about themselves. Like that's where you want to build them. I mean, as I see it, there's this belief, like the world is a terrible place. And then you go, so you either need to protect them from it or you need to prepare them for it, right? And it's either you're going to make them strong so they can deal with it, or you're going to protect them. And if you protect them, then at some point that protection's going to go away and they're going to be exposed to reality. And so it's always, you know, to me, like, how do you keep them challenged? And to your point, Rick, like, you want to keep them on their edge. Yeah. <laughs> so you want to go off your edge. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. Well, you know, it's interesting because I, he, he has, um, I put him in front of a lot of people that, um, uh, that I know specifically, um, airline captains, right. That fly commercially for the, the couple of the big carriers. And I, he's also a cub scout or sorry, a, a boy scout. And mm -hmm. one of the merit badges is aviation. So I said, Hey, listen, I know these guys. Um, let me see if I can set up a flight for you. Right. Uh, a discovery flight. And so happens to be the son of one of the airline captains was a, is a CFI, right? He's a certified flight instructor. So we mm -hmm. took him, I took him out to the airport and I said, he's really good at video games, right? So hand-eye coordination is really good, but you know, feeling it is totally different. Um, and I, and he started getting a little nervous about it. And, and I said, listen, he's not going to put you in danger. You just follow procedure because it's all about procedure. Because if you don't follow procedure, you're going to crash and you don't want to crash so follow the procedure and he will never put you in in a in a situation where you're going to be in danger and if 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 something gets squirrely or goes sideways he's always right there to take controls you know and so he had such a good experience and but it was all about procedure and it was i love that 
uh, I put him up in the plane like that because now he understands. You know, he can't just go to the end of the uh, end of the goal. He's got to follow these specific things and steps in order to get to where he wants to go. And so now he has this huge interest to become a pilot. Yeah, mm-hmm. wonderful. That's great. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a social. That's the piece that you were talking about. The you know building in those social things. So yep. Thank you, Aaron. We've taken up too much of your time, but it was a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It was great meeting both of you. Thank you. You too, Aaron. We'll see you. All right. We'll see you soon. Okay. That was All a right. good conversation. Yeah, that was good. Good, good, good. You want to do a speedy? You want to do a speedy? Go, okay. I have to go get pick up Giselle, but yes. Um, Are they still in school? No, everybody's out except for Isabel. Mm. Hold on one second. Okay. All right, let me do a speedy recap quickly. Okay. Hey, let me ask you real quick. You know, when, when I don't know if you're seeing a lag when I start the video, but is there a lag after you speak? stop speaking to when the like the main intro starts i'm not seeing that okay all right yeah okay all right okay here you go things (laughs) it's been a while um all right when you're ready yeah okay So I know as an entrepreneur, you have a business culture, but do you have a family culture? Did you know that your family life is directly, oh wait, business stability. Okay, I'm going to start over again. As a business owner, you have a company culture, but do you have a family culture that is ingrained in your family structure? Did you know that the stability of your business is directly proportional to the stability of your family unit and your life? Well, in this episode, we talk about exactly that with our guests so that you can also build in a stable family structure that impacts your business structure. That's good. Yep. That's good. Okay. In episode 137 of Waste Up Wardrobe, you have a business culture, but you also have a family culture. We discuss the Waste Up Wardrobe weekly wrap-up, and here it is in a nutshell. The main takeaway is that our guest emphasizes how important it is to increase your social and social outreach and to become, I'm going to start over again, social Let's see. Let's see, 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 see. Social investments, okay. In episode 137 of Waste Up Wardrobe, you have a business culture, but you also have a family culture. In this episode of Waste Up Wardrobe, the basic... In episode 137 of Waste Up Wardrobe, you have a business culture, but you also have 
a family culture. And the Waste Up Wardrobe Weekly Wrap-Up, in a nutshell, boils down to this. The main takeaway that our guest emphasizes is building in social investments in your family structure and your business structure. So it's important to network and to create social investments because those social investments that you get while you're doing community service or volunteering at your church or volunteering at different organizations will build a network for you and your family members so that, that will give you opportunities that maybe you just don't know about today. Some tips. Some tips. Do service in the community and in other organizations around you because that helps you build these social investments. What was the tool he gave? It's called um, what? Family We Flywheel or something? Uh, it is. What did I do? Oh, here. Let's see. It is. Here it is. The family flywheel.com forward slash book resources. Okay. 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 The tool that our, the, the tool that Aaron Shelley, our guest, the tool that our guests offered is the flywheel. Oh gosh. The, is it the family file flywheel.com slash book resources? Yes. Okay. <laughs> the tool that our guest told us about from his website is called the family backslash family resources. And you want to look that up because he gives you a no, 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 no. Um, it's forward slash book resources. Book resources. Okay. Familyflywheel.com. Forward slash book resources. Our guest gave us this free downloadable. Our guest offered this this tool off of his website, and it's called thefamilyflywheel.com forward slash book resources. And if you go there and you look that up, you will get sort of an idea of how to start building in those family um, steps that really get you to success, a success level that you can uh, start over again. Our guest offered this, this our guest on this episode offered us a tool. It's called thefamilyflywheel.com forward slash book resources. And if you look that up, you'll get some tools on how to get started building in your family culture and your business culture because they both inform each other. And finally, action item. Well, I've decided family meetings as well as those company meetings are really critical. So I'm going to go and start scheduling those on a monthly basis. I suggest you try it too. Okay. Okay, good. I gotta go. I have to go pick up Giselle. She's waiting for me. Okay. I will uh, turn and burn. Don't act randomly in operating your business. Be intentional. Being intentional will help you squeeze the juice out of every day and work smarter rather than harder. In this episode, we're going to discuss how to work more efficiently so that you can squeeze this juice out of every day and get your biggest bank for your time currency. But you know the drill. If you want to hear more about this, you're going to have to stick around. Welcome to Waste Up Wardrobe. I'm Christine Vartanian, an attorney turned personal style expert and image consultant. As the founder of Jade House of Style, I am passionate about unveiling the inner confidence of my clients by developing their personal style and dressing them for success. But is getting dressed up still important in our virtual world? Well, 
That's where my experience can help with what I call Waste Up Wardrobe. Waste Up Wardrobe is a podcast for all things you need to conduct an outstanding Zoom meeting. It's about how to dress for the camera, but it's not just about the clothes. It's about everything you need to know to show up on brand and professionally for the camera. Join me in the Waste Up Wardrobe studio to discuss how to navigate this virtual world and dominate from behind the desk. Hello, Waste Up Wardrobe Nation. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of Waste Up Wardrobe. Today, we're going to be talking about how to work more efficiently in your business and really be in charge of your business rather than it being in charge of you. But before I get started, I want to say thank you for being here and show you gratitude for being a committed audience to Waste Up Wardrobe, whether you listen to the show live or you listen to it on replay. We love that you're here. Uh, I also want to say thank you to Rick Moscoso, who's always in the production room making this show technically possible because I couldn't do it without him. And I am just so thrilled that we are recording episode 136 today, and we're going strong trying to bring you an, an entrepreneurial topic every single time. You know we're here live on Facebook at Waste Up Wardrobe every Thursday at 1130, and um, we show up here without fail rain or shine. Uh, We are also on iTunes, so you can download us there and you can listen to us if you can't watch us. And we are on um, YouTube and also on TikTok, and you can find me on Instagram. So go and join and uh, join us on those platforms and um, rate us and review us if you so feel inclined. So without... uh, you know, without further ado, let's say, I am going to talk to you a little bit about my guest today, uh, a real special guest who really knows the difference between working in your business efficiently uh, versus really working the hard way and not enjoying the aspect of it. She will be guiding us through how do you take charge of your business rather than have it take charge of you. And she's got a lot of goodness to share and a lot of nuggets. And we can't wait to talk to her about this and have this dialogue. But first, let me brag about her. Um, Aaron Marcus is the founder and CEO of Conquer Your Business, on international, uh, an international company helping entrepreneurs and small business owners get out of reaction um, so that they can be in charge of their business and in charge of their lives. Because we know business spills into lot, our personal lives all the time. Having made the successful leap from the corporate executive, from a corporate executive to an entrepreneur, she uses that experience along with her MBA education and her street smarts to help her clients reach heights they've never dreamt possible. And have fun while they do it, which is so important, right? Erin uh, is also an international speaker and the host of Ready Yet, the podcast. So please help me welcome Erin to the show. Hi, Erin. How are you today? I'm awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. to. I, you too. I am thrilled. I can't wait to dive deep. We all know as business owners how as entrepreneurs, we get stuck in the weeds and we get we let the business start running us and we we forget to do the things that will make our lives easier because we feel like we need to be 
our have our hands in everything. So I can't wait to really talk to you about this and really draw on your experience for, you know, because you have this robust experience from being, uh, having the MBA and then um, also the street smarts. I want to hear more about that. I'm really excited about <laughs> That's the that. interesting part. <laughs> That is, uh, that's how we all take the scenic route, really, right. to where we end up, right? Take the scenic route, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but first, I want to give the audience a little window into uh, your person, your person, who you are. So I'm going to ask some this and that questions. That okay. are very, very, very simple, but they might tell us a thing or two about you um, when it comes to your fun side, okay? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> if it's not fun, why are we doing, why would we do this, right? Totally. I totally agree. Okay. Um, so this or that questions, wildlife or marine life? Oh, that's so not fair. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I'm going to go with wildlife for the accessibility. I live on an acre and a half wooded lot. I've got a pond. We've got baby birds everywhere who don't know how to fly. It's a, it's a zoo out there right now. And so I'll go with the wildlife because as much as I love the marine life, I live immersed in the wildlife here. Wow. Oh, that's exciting to be living with all those living beings around you. I think that's like so, uh, so like a sanctuary. It's a restorative. It's absolutely restorative. Yeah. That's so why we birds, what else do you have there? What do I have? I have on this property at any given moment, we've got a family of six deer. We've got um, a mated pair of coyotes. We've got a single male coyote. Um, I've got a gigantic bunny rabbit showed up the other day who's managed to evade the coyotes evidently because he's huge. Um, oh my God, I've got raccoons. So every night I have to bring some of the suet and some of the food. The Oriole jelly has to go in the garage. Otherwise I can't find the feeders in the morning because they don't just eat the food. They take the feeders. There's no such thing as a raccoon baffle. Like you can get a squirrel baffle and the squirrel can't get up there. Haven't figured out the raccoons are smarter and bigger. So we've got raccoons. Um, We've got, oh my God, this morning we had a new one. We had a Marragansar docks. Oh, it's wow. a, a diving dock in our little pond this morning. I've got muskrats. We've seen muskrats. We've chipmunks. Oh my God, chipmunks. I've got baby squirrels who gather their seeds and sit under my hostas right in front of my sunroom and oh, fall asleep cool. in their pot. I've learned like, you've seen the videos of the baby, the, the puppies and the kittens fall asleep in the food dish. Birds do it too. Oh, so I've got we've feeders out there that are just platforms, and I currently have babies who just eat until they pass out right there in the ditch. And hawks, we have the birds of prey as well. We've got a mated pair of Cooper's hawks. I've got a mated pair of uh, great horned owls. Wow, it's like a whole ecosystem. Yes, I've got we've got the whole ecosystem. Wow, it's incredible. I mean, that's kind of like. It's a dream place to live. You can't wake up and have a bad day. No, and it's exactly why we bought this. Right? When I, I laugh because when we were looking all of last year, the phrase that I kept saying was, I want to be immersed in nature. 
I love that. You want to be immersed. In so, so needless to say, you're a nature person. I know you've yes. done work for the wildlife charity. So that's what prompted the question because they are intentional. Unlike people <laughs> believe they're not random. <laughs> not completely random, right? Not completely <laughs> random. But I love that. Uh, I love that I got to hear that story because that gives us a little window into who you are. And do you have any cats or dogs to? I do. I currently, so I have, um, Logan, who is a six-year-old rescue. Uh, they found him under a car in Oklahoma. Aww. And we have um, Daisy, also known as the potato. Um, she's a 16-year-old puggle who's basically a potato. And then I have Grover, who is a 53-year-old blue and gold macaw. Wow. Okay. Like you have your house pets too. Yeah, the indoor. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a total sanctuary. It's like an arboretum. Is that, I don't know if that's right, but I don't know if that's the right term to use. But anyway, thank you so much for um, sharing that. That is yeah. really, really fascinating and, and just sounds like a dream place to be. I am so excited to really delve into your entrepreneurial side because this show really does, um, you know, it, it, the the listeners are entrepreneurs, are business owners. Everybody is interested in elevating where they're at, every aspect of the life, and what your topic that you really are um, known. I mean, you you're known to talk on multiple topics, but the one that intrigued me the most is this idea that you don't want to get stuck in the weeds. You want to conquer your business. You want the business to be conquering you or overpowering you. You. As business owners, we start businesses because we have a passion or we have a need to serve in a certain area. And so when it starts taking over your every part of your life and you're not enjoying it anymore, it's almost like, what is the point, right? How did I get here? Wait a How minute. <laughs> and you have to wake up in the morning when you put your feet on the ground. And I tell my kids this all the time is like when you are choosing a path, when it comes to create your career, you want to wake up excited to execute that next thing right in your work. So that's just how I think. And I, 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 I know you're going to share so many nuggets around that. But at first, I kind of want you to tell us a little bit about your journey, because I know oh <laughs> you've got the little bit of street smarts with the formal MBA with, of course, running your own business and helping other businesses. So tell us a little brief, uh, briefly about a sort brief, of the area. Yes. The brief origin story, right? The, the Marvel con, we've all watched too many Marvel movies, the origin story. Um, I grew up in Chicago. I, the title that I gave myself looking back was I was a professional juvenile delinquent. <laughs> I, I use the word professional because we kind of made money at it, right? So we were just, uh, right. I I grew up in Chicago in the 70s and in the 80s in the public school system and every stereotype and craziness that you're envisioning with that, yes, right, yes. And the cool thing, though, was I also grew up with people from 22 different countries. We oh. counted once, right? It was, so while it was a bit, of mayhem, chosen mayhem. We were lunatics. We were kids, right? We were bad kids. But on the flip side, we had an opportunity that nobody, especially then, had where you're the exposure to other people, right? The non judgmental child version of exposure mm. to other people. <clears throat> High school was much more the same as that, really didn't bother going, but did well on the tests. And they, you know, this was back before internet and tracking, and it was so much easier where no one knew. I, 
everything you watched about Stranger Things, yes, we we raised ourselves. <laughs> no one ever knew what we were doing <laughs> the whole the whole nine yards. But college was more interesting. Yeah, college became more interesting. The topics became more interesting. Um, I was out of immersed in that environment. And so I did well in college, which then just led to doing well at my job. What, what I figured out along the way was whatever I wanted in life, I was going to have to make it happen. Yeah. Right. It wasn't going to be handed to me. Now, interestingly enough, I never felt that I couldn't have something. Yeah. I never felt there was a limit, but I always knew I had to get it. And so somewhere in there is what I think kicked off the high achiever type drive so that I could go about creating the life that I wanted. Yeah. And the way that I got my, I would do a good job that would lead to the promotion that would need lead to the next job. And then ultimately found my longest home with, um, a company that I was with for 12 years, which was with amazing mentors. That's when I got my MBA. That's when I just learned how to business from a high, high, high level. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, like you talk about, you know, when you got to college, you really realized that, um, you know, there was, there was no limit to what you can achieve. And that that's kind of interesting because I think that most of the time we are our own limit. You know, oh, we yeah. have our limitations and that's why um, people either, you know, feel like they can't do something or they stop or they self-sabotage. And um, I think that it's so interesting that you said that because truly I listened to a speaker once who said that, you know, you, as, as a um, add on to the sky is the limit is that really there is no sky. Right. There's no sky. And that's funny that you say that because when I, Get interviewing stuff. Sometimes people ask, oh, what's your favorite movie quote? And I ended up just watching it this weekend. I don't know how this happened. It was on. I stopped. Um, one of my favorite movie lines is from The Matrix, uh-huh. right? When In the scene when Neo and Trinity is going to like cut the elevator line and use, right, do something monumentally horrifying that could get you killed. And what he does was right before he did it, he says out loud, there is no spoon right? As a reference to this child that he had encountered earlier in the movie, like there is no spoon, there's no rule, there's no one way to do things, there's no given outcome. And that's right. And that's where, you know, the tagline for conquer your business is be in charge, take action, get results. Yeah. Yeah. And it's this whole be in charge idea. And it's not about being in charge of anybody else. They absolutely promise there's zero things to do with being in charge of anybody else. But what I learned along the way is even through health problems as a child and what my mom did to make that okay, and then watching immigrant families have to earn a living when they don't speak the language and they don't have the community and they don't have the tools, but you still have to pay the bills, right? And watching how different people maneuver through just civilization to be kind of weird about it. But And what I really learned was if you don't make the decisions for you, people who are not vested in you get to make those decisions. Yeah. Yeah. True. And And yeah, it's not that they're bad or wrong, but they're going to have different priorities than you. Right. Yeah. And when you say that, do you mean like if you're you're part of a company or something or any, any relationship? 
truthfully, it's my opinion when it comes to your health, your business, your money, your relationships. It's about deciding what you want and intentionally creating it. And and what you were saying before about being in the weeds, we get stuck in the weeds because we don't know where we're going. Right. We get stuck in the weeds because we don't know where we're trying to go. What are we trying to create? And I watch this with entrepreneurs over and over and over again. They go out, they do random acts of marketing. They do random acts of business, not because they're bad or they're just because they don't know. Right. They don't know. And instead, everything about your business needs to be reverse engineered. Right. Everything. Right. What do I want? Because you don't know what to do until you know what you're trying to create. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Why do we get stuck in the weeds? Because we don't know what else we should be doing. Like it's this whole idea of being intentional and we get stuck in our habits. We get stuck in our patterns. Like I call it, give yourself a break, but don't let yourself off the hook. Like give yourself a break. This stuff's hard. Yeah. We're up against neuroscience. right? We're up against limiting beliefs. We're up against the way our brain literally works with habits and patterns. We know how to do what our business does, but we don't know how to grow a business. But somehow we're supposed to know that too. Like give yourself a break. But that doesn't mean let yourself off the hook. Yes, exactly. And so when you tell, you know, when you coach your um, pe- people on this, are we talking about, you know, where you're going, like know what your goals are, have a vision um, a mapped out vision. How do you help um, people really know where they're going so that they can take charge and take those steps towards the goals? I think it's it has to be done on two levels. It, you have to hold. I, I I had a hard time learning this, so like, don't do it the way I did it. You'll be ahead of the curve. Right? <laughs> like, do it faster than I did it. How do you hold the vision and act in the in the current? Hold a vision and act in the curtain. Because if all you're doing is holding a vision, you can sometimes lose sight of what has to happen now. There are certain actions that have to happen now that you might not be ready for. Your business might not be ready for. Um, Holding the vision alone and acting from that point is where you watch people buy into insta-tactics. You know, just do this one thing and make a million dollars. Well, if I hold my vision... And you're promising me a million dollars. Oh, okay, I'll go do that because that's the vision. It doesn't work, right? Because we have to still assess where we are today. Yeah. So it's this dual hold the vision so that you have that driving force, that big, you know, know your why, that bigger than you, right? Hold your vision so we don't meander too far off the path. But at the same time, what is the short-term goal that leads to the vision? So again, I, I use the concept of reverse engineering because that word engineer means teeny tiny. What are every step? What is yeah. every step? It's not just dream and it'll come, but it's engineer it. Yeah. It's intentional. It's, it's intentional and there's some mechanics to getting there. And uh, But yeah. you also have to have your eye on the prize mm-hmm. while still understanding step-by-step how to get there rather than jumping or skipping steps. You can't skip steps. You can run, you can run as fast as you want, but you can't jump over them, right? Like you can't jump over them. And if you only look at where you are now, you end up way off the path because if you put like one foot in front of the other, but you're staring at your feet, you have no direction, right? We just kind of fall off. You're just, and if you're only staring, Staring at the big prize, 
you'll make some decisions you're not actually ready for because you haven't done the analysis of, well, what's the next step or what's the next step or what's the next step? Makes a lot of sense. And, you know, you often uh, refer to, you know, stopping those random acts of marketing. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of like, uh, when we, and I've done this myself, I'm guilty of this, like creating busy work, but it's not really effective work. Is that what you're referring to? Can you give us some examples? It, it really hits on a couple different things. So one, yes, you're a hundred percent dead on. You're creating work because you know, you're supposed to be doing something. So we create work one, because we know we're supposed to be doing something and we want to be doing something, but also we, that's where we kind of play the shell game with ourselves. Look how busy I am. Look how busy I am. See, I must be right. But then we get to the point where like, well, wait a minute, I'm doing all the work. So why isn't it working? Yeah. So yes, that's one definition of it. The other definition of it is the inconsistency, right? The random acts of marketing, the random acts of business is the inconsistency of our behavior. And just because I, you know, I'm on my growth edge right now as well, because, you know, it's not fun if we're not scared out of our minds. um, I'm revisiting atomic habits, Mm -hmm. revisiting atomic habits and this idea that it's 1% every day, 1%. How can I do it a little bit better, a little bit better? And if you fall off the consistency, you don't get the results. Yeah. You never get the results. So, you know, we talk about my juvenile delinquent background. When I was a little kid growing up in Chicago, I don't know if they have this where you grew up. I don't know how any of us survived truly living like this, but it is what it is. Like, how did we survive this? Um, You see this on jokes on TikTok all the time. And it's true. We were let out of our house after breakfast and not expected or required or even wanted to return until dinner or the streetlights came on. And so you had to, my mother used to call it fund for yourself, right? Fund for yourself. Go figure it out. You get a dollar in change in your pocket. Good news, things were cheap back then. You yeah. get the happy meal for 99 cents or whatever it was. But we used to drink out of the pumps in the park. Like, <laughs> seriously. We used to drink out of the pumps in the park. And I remember and we also used to roller skate as a mode of transportation, right? Roller skating and bikes. And so we would search the park for the pump that was actually trickling uh-huh. because you could get it started. Uh-huh. And if the pump wasn't even trickling, it was brutal. It was just brutal as skinny little children to have enough strength to, to get this going. And that's what happens in your business. Right. Well, I love that analogy because uh, it you 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 started by saying I don't know how we survived. Actually, <laughs> what I think is I don't know how our generation, our younger generation, will ever survive the world because I think that is the preparation for the world. But of course, yeah. it was a different time. You know, a different oh. different stimulation, different events, different we, no internet, like all that stuff that we have now. So, but. It was the kind of thing that built character and strength, don't you think? It built resilience. Mm -hmm. It built persistence. It also built self reliance. Mm -hmm. And one of the things watching younger, and I don't have children, I will be the first one to say I have no business giving child rearing advice because I do not have any. And I don't know how any of you do this, especially through the pandemic. Like, seriously, kudos. Don't know how it works. But when I watch clients, put it this way, my millennial clients, I have had them 
verbalize to me, actually articulate, I don't know how to do anything. Wow. They're brilliant beyond reason. They are educated. They are book smart. They are brilliant, but they don't have creative coping mechanisms. Wow. And I've had, and it's usually the guys, because girls, we kind of figure things out, Yeah, right? Girls will figure things out. But the guys, I've had them actually articulate, um, I don't actually know how to, you know, the adult. They don't. And yeah. it's not their fault. Yeah. They what? They weren't, re- it wasn't required of them. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. I mean, that is, you know, I, I, I thought it was kind of funny that you said that, you know, your street smarts and that you're saying, oh, I don't know how we survive. But I thought that is precisely why as an adult you survive, right? Is that is that those struggles and the resilience that you build in those times where you have to rely on yourself. And um, we had the opportunity uh, growing up doing that. It's but- the you build the trust that allows you to take risks. Yeah. Because failure isn't a thing. Yeah, it's not an option. It's not an option. And it's also, who cares? Like, yeah. we did all sorts of things that didn't work. Yeah. You know, I, let the par- I lit the park on fire on a particular day. Shh, don't tell anyone. It was me and my friend Mary, and we ran the way you should run when you accidentally light the dandelion fluff in the park on fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But you create a self-trust that allows you to do things. Yeah, absolutely. So you also say that staying uncomfortable in business is good. So what do you mean by that? Staying uncomfortable, and I'll give you a story to just because this is so absurd. I love stories. (laughs) It's so absurd, right? So I talked to him a second ago. I, I live on my growth edge. Right? Can you live on your growth edge? And it's you know it's not a new saying. Get uh, you know be uncomfortable being uncom you know be comfortable being uncomfortable. That's not what it is. It's be comfortable staying uncomfortable. And the truth of the matter is, your brain has one job. Your brain has one job. It's not to make you rich or successful or skinny or any of those things. It's to keep you alive. That's its only job. Your brain's job is to keep you alive. So it has a negative bias. It sees everything as a risk and it's very black and white. Either, oh, okay, we know how to do this or, oh my God, we're all going to die. And when your brain is thinking, wait a minute, you haven't done this before. Oh my God, we're all going to die. It comes up with very, very, very creative ways to stop you from moving forward. And so the more you can basically teach yourself, teach your brain that risk and trying new things doesn't equal death. The more risk and trying new things and moving forward, you'll be able to do. So when I left my very amazing corporate job, like, seriously, you don't want to be the one to tell your mother you're leaving the, you know, six figure expense accounts, C-suite level job to start your own business, right? But when I did that, I knew I'm very physical. I need, right? That's how I relieve stress is something physical. And I, this is weird because I'm only five feet tall and you can't tell by Zoom, but I'm five feet tall, but I used to do competitive powerlifting and boxing. And so going to the gym for me isn't enough of a physical activity for stress relief because I've been doing it for so long that my mind will still wander. So I knew I had to come up with something that when I was doing it, was physical in nature and I could my mind couldn't wander. Right? Be very, very uncomfortable, 
and my mind couldn't wander. So I decided at 40 years old, I would learn how to figure skate. (laughs) (laughs) At 40 years old, right? This is what I came up with. And by the end of the year, I was found myself across the country in San Francisco in a, I won a blue ribbon in an adult beginner co- figure skating competition where I had on and yes there's pictures or it didn't happen the blue I went full out man I went full, if you're going to go go all the way I had the blue sequin glittery skirty outfit and the um I had long hair at the time so I had the blue glittery scrunchie to match <laughs> I did a 90 second um, skating routine to landslide by Fleetwood Mac. (laughs) Wow. Well, I think that's so remarkable because at 35, like I never grew up having tried ice skating or even roller skating, but I ended up deciding at 35 to go and try ice skating because I feel like it's such a freeing thing to do to be able to glide on ice, but it was hard. I was hard. (laughs) I am. I would, I consider myself pretty coordinated and pretty capable, but it took all of me because I was fear, the fear that I would fall and hurt myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I did, but (laughs) I didn't break anything. (laughs) So that inspires me to go back because I did it. I actually was able to stand on ice and maybe go a little bit, but that you went and you competed. Wow. That, that, I, I could, uh, I'm short and the powerlifting background, I have a low center of gravity and really good balance. Ah, So yeah. I could do that. Yeah. I couldn't leave the ice. So I couldn't, <laughs> there was no hopping. There was no... <laughs> you, you had to always be attached to this. As long as I was, att- I could do amazing, amazing things. As long as I never left the, my feet never left the ice. Well, hey, I take that if I can glide all day long and forget. I could glide at top speeds. I got really good at fancy stopping and I can spin. I don't know why. I could spin very, very, very well. A barely a bunny hop, as they call it, as long as my feet were on the ground. Yeah. I was willing. That's a great example of how as entrepreneurs we take sort of these risks or we take these challenges on. It's sort of like you said, living on that edge of uncomfortable. Yes. And it's not that um you you know, it, it's one is being able to stay in the uncomfortable and feel like you can do it. Well, and that's the thing. And to bring it back to what we were talking before, one of the ways to be able to do it is to know why you're doing it. Mm. I think a lot of people don't take the risks or don't try because they have no idea what they're trying to create, right? Where they're starting at step one and going in order. So they're taking a big risk, but what's the potential payoff? What's, how is this going to help my business? They don't actually know. And so if you reverse engineer it, now you're taking calculated risks. Now you're taking measured risks. Now yeah. you can take informed risks. Yeah. And so you're coming from a more solid foundation, which is always going to give you a better chance. And here's the thing. When you do one and it fails miserably and you don't die, you realize, huh, look at that. It didn't work. What else doesn't work? What else doesn't work? What else doesn't work? 
Yeah. And it, it helps you taking that, that those next, those big leaps that sometimes we limit ourselves to. Well, I mean, I think that is a <clears throat> great, um, I think it's interesting as, as business owners, I find that in particular, we have this mindset of trying, even, even if it's not a business challenge we're taking on, we like to take on physical challenges or other types of challenges, just because that's sort of how our mind is wired. Right. Absolutely. You had, um, I was curious, uh, what is like the most surprising part about having navigated this entrepreneurial world? What surprised you the most? Oh my God. So the thing that surprised me the most is this thing that tanked me forever. Mm. Absolutely. Because I wasn't prepared for it. Yeah. So here I am with my fancy corporate job and amazing, amazing people. And I'm winning awards and I'm getting bonuses and I'm getting accolades and promotions. And yay, Aaron, you're so smart. You're so wonderful. You're so great. Right. Perfect. Look at me. Look at me. This is doing so great. And so when I left corporate and started my own business, I thought, well, all these people told me how great I was. Of course I can do this. And the shock, mind you, was when I learned that I was massively successful on a very narrow path that someone else created. Yeah. With external validation filled with, right? I mean, think about that. It's yeah. the opposite of entrepreneurship. Narrow yeah. path, someone else created it, tons of external validation. And so here I am in my own world now, and I owned a franchise first, and that actually still did very well very quickly because it was still a framework. But once I really went out on my own, I lost the framework. I lost the external validation. I lost, right? I, all those things went away. Yeah. And the shock to me was, I'm a massive action taker. I don't sit still. I have no attention span. Point me in a direction. I'm like a freaking energy. I'm 53 years old. This is how excited I am now. Like you can imagine what this was like when I was younger, right? Like it is what it is. But so what I wasn't expecting at all was the key to the whole thing had nothing to do with how much action I was taking. It was all internal. Mm. I was so not prepared for limiting beliefs. I was not prepared for what is a successful mindset. I only knew how to just work harder. Yeah. That's what I knew how to do, just work harder. And I could I knew I never had any doubt about the business side of things. I never had any cuz I knew I knew how to do it. Mm-hmm. I had proof. I knew I knew how to do it. But the who I needed to be, like understanding that the difference between trying something and committing to something and having it actually work, the difference was who I was being, what I believed about myself, and how I was showing up internally. Yeah. Yeah. Was not prepared. <laughs> yeah, well, and that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, when um, we talk about, you know, um, uh, that entrepreneurial thing of, you know, uh, you're in, now you're in your own business. This is, you're creating everything. You are, you don't have any external validation. You have to kind of figure it all out on your own. And, you know, this whole idea that we have to be more efficient rather than work harder, right? The being efficient and working harder. So, um, can you give us a little bit of a comparison and a contrast of this working, working smarter, not harder. 
um, for people. Yeah, absolutely. Because all of the working smarter things that produce the results have to do with what you believe in who you are. Mm -hmm. Because the busy work that we create for ourselves so that we feel like we're doing something is because of a fear and scarcity mindset, not because the work needs to be done. The willingness to let go of things that are no longer working for us at a lower level so that we can take the next step up, purely an internal game, Mm -hmm. purely an internal game. So all of the things that go into working smarter and being in charge and being more efficient versus just hit the nail harder, it all comes from the internal game. The, the ability to focus, the ability, one of my things I use all the time for my clients and myself, put it on the calendar, live by the calendar, put it on the calendar, live by the calendar, because it's not about more hours. It's about more focus. Yeah. It's about more better priorities. It's about doing the analysis between what am I doing and what are the outcomes? And then making that measurement, your goal, better, 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 better. Yeah. Do less things for better outcomes. And that's completely an internal game. You know, that's such a mindset thing too, because like uh, many of us grew up with the ideology that the the only way to be successful is to work hard and harder, right? And and so this idea of working efficiently almost offends. Oh my God, right? Yeah, of people who are like, what do you mean? What do you mean work smarter? Like I grew up on hard work, hard work alone, but it's not about this, you know, um, of dismissing the idea that we have to work hard and put our heart into it. It's about where can we, um, where can we save time and energy, right? So that we can do our best and, and help more people. Uh, so tell me, can you relate to that idea? Yeah. So the way that I finally figured it out, was it's not, I had this definition that hard work meant a lot of work. Yeah. And it doesn't. The hard work is internal. That's hard work. Here's why it's so hard. You can't pay anybody else to do it. You can't buy it. I can buy branding. I can buy marketing. I can buy sales, right? I can buy all those things. I can buy SEO. There are brilliant people out there that you can hire to solve every single business problem you have, every single one of them. Yeah. So it's easy. Yeah. You can go buy it. I can't buy internal work. I can't, nobody else can do it for me. So I changed my definition of what hard work is. Hard work is the commitment, the absolute commitment to the constant journey of improving me. Yeah. Constant journey. And this is a really big thing for me. There's two things that I say all that I look at all the time to make sure I'm doing. Number one, your mindset doesn't need to be fixed. It just is. As soon as you tell yourself, my calendar needs fixing, my mindset needs fixing, you get this idea that A, you're wrong and bad, or and B, that there's an end, (laughs) that one day it's going to be done. Guess what? It's never done. This is a process. This is part of the process. So you don't need to be fixed. The hard work is the commitment to the ongoing effort. And the second thing that took me way too long, way too long to figure out, is that whether or not something is hard or easy is absolutely a perspective. 
There's no, it's not based in fact. There's yeah. no facts to it because you and I, here's an example. You and I could go on a date and we could go to the scariest movie known to man. And we could sit there together and watch the scariest movie ever. And I could end up in therapy and you could have the time of your life. The movie, it was the same movie. Yeah. It was the exact same movie. Our perspectives were different. Yeah. So I start every single day. I still do this because this is where I could go way off the rails. I start every single day looking at my calendar and it doesn't matter what's on the calendar. I tell myself how amazing of an easy, fun, amazing day it's going to be. Yeah. Oh my God, look at all the people I get to talk to. Oh my God, look at all the time I have to just get stuff done. Oh my God, look at all. Like, it doesn't matter what's on it. Yeah. It's easy. It's exciting. It's awesome. It's fun. Yeah. Great attitude, right? That's, that is, that's how it's what, how we perceive our, our perceptions are reality in a way, right? Absolutely. 100%. So we're talking about growth mindset. We're talking about how to constantly be um, improving oneself because that is the journey of the entrepreneur. So having said that, are there any great books you've read lately or can recommend to our audience? So I am rereading Atomic Habits. Yep. I'm rereading Atomic Habits. Um, and I'm, it's a workbook. It's a workbook. So loving that one. The other one that I've just read, the book's a little rough. It's very scientifically academic and he's a little bit of, uh, it's a little doom and gloomy, but I kind of came up with an exercise out of it. I just read Map of Consciousness by David Hawkins. Mm. And what he did was he took this idea of like, we're all at a certain vibration and like attracts like and all this stuff we know about, you need to raise your vibration. You need I'm very tactical. I that stuff makes me crazy. Just tell me what to do. <laughs> tell me I'm very just please just tell me what to do. Yeah. So what I did was I took the actual map and you can google map of consciousness by David Hawkins. There's a very pretty rainbow colored graph. And it's got columns in it like the main feeling, the main view of the world, the main behavior. And so I printed it out and every day I look at it and I just look at the words. Just look at the words and I see which word resonates with me that day. Mm -hmm. And then I look at level one or two above mm -hmm. and I ask myself, okay, what would it feel like? What would it be like to come from that feeling instead of the feeling that I have? And so I'm intentionally every day, intentionally focused raising my vibration. I call it setting my stage because I do this as my morning routine. I set my stage for the day by assessing where am I? And then how would it feel? What would it look like to intentionally be one level higher? Yeah. Right. Well, Going back to our conversation, hold the vision and act currently. The top phase is enlightenment. I ain't even trying. <laughs> like, I ain't even trying. Yeah. But my favorite line is the courage line. Mm -hmm. How can I be just a little more brave? Okay, yeah. what am I doing? Where do I need to be just a little more brave? Yeah. Yeah, it's almost always challenging yourself in your mental, your mindset, right? Because just to improve and be able to just get better um, and, and grow as a human being so that you can be able to offer more. And then matching all that up with actionable, maintainable, strategic, business-based, reverse-engineered, 
right? You can't do one of these without the other. Right. And so you brought us full circle, by the way, as we near the end of the show, which you know, we started out by the reverse engineering. And, and so you brought us full circle, which was just poetic. Thank you for doing um, so I know that you work with entrepreneurs and you help them work through all these ideas. And I know you have a freemium for the audience today, whoever puts in the hashtag in charge and shine, uh, whether on the replay or in the and currently in live, but in charge and shine. What, what was it? Okay. Bring everybody. So I see something out in the marketplace with entrepreneurs that makes me absolutely crazy. And it's called multiple streams of income. This is why it makes me crazy. Yes to multiple streams of income, but let's do it right. Most of the time, not all of the time, most of the time when if you're under, let's just put a number on it just to get an idea. If you're under multiple six figures, too many times we add multiple streams of income out of fear. Hmm. It's, it's a fear reaction. This isn't working. I have to add things to it. But if you don't have number one dialed in, number two is a distraction, not an additional stream of income. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I get it. Multiple streams of income, if you're talking about real estate investments, stocks and bonds, your, your business, 100% go for it. But multiple streams of income when you have six different business ideas that don't go together is just confusing the marketplace. Yes. Right. So what I did to help people out was I created a, a, a little workbook about how to create multiple streams of income within your business. Yeah. Right. I'm a big fan of the concept, but let's do it right. Multiple streams of income within your business so that you're not confusing the marketplace. You're not accidentally falling in a reaction mode. Yeah. It's sort of having that umbrella, the overarching business that everything else falls underneath yes. it nicely. So that makes sense. It's cohesive. It's in harmony and yes. you can stay focused. That's awesome. Yes. So we always wrap up the show with the uh, a main takeaway. So if there's one takeaway, somebody could take away from today's show, what would it be, Erin? That you like... I'm so not a fluffy person. Like I'm so direct and so action focused, but I just want everyone to know that it's possible. Like if I tell you that I had five, five, one, two, three, four, I've had five life saving surgeries in my life. And four of them were before the age of five. I went to Chicago public schools with a single mother. Like my success isn't because it's me. It's not like Aaron, right? It, it, it's available to anybody. Right. It's the intention. What do you want? How bad do you want it? What are you going to commit to doing it? That it's not the hard. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's definitely, um, I think that it, it, for people to sit down and think about that, you know, nobody's extraordinary in a way that you you can't achieve what anybody else has achieved Absolutely. you just believe it everybody is a little bit ordinary and they're a little bit extraordinary in their own way so you also uh told us about the tools atomic habits i know that book it's on my shelf for me to start reading i'm in a uh, compound effect right now which is oh yeah it's a great book um, Jerry Hardy, yeah 
So that's a, that is a great tool. Thank you for telling us about that and the map of consciousness. That's a great tool. Yeah, too. If you don't want to read the scary book, just print the map. You'll totally get it. <laughs> I, I'm going to go look it up. And then is there any tip, like give the audience a tip or two on how to get started, really um, starting to think in a, in a more open-minded way about sort of conquering the business, not being in the weeds and, 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 sure. and being able to um, work more efficiently. So one of the things I do, like as part of my morning routine, I have a bunch of different reflection questions so that if I don't have something automatically that I need to work through, I can ask myself. And I use this process for my business. I use it for my other difficult things in my life. I use it for a variety of things. And the first, so it's writing this out. And the first thing I start with is, what do you want? What do you want? So I write it out. What do I want? And then look at it and have the most heart and the most difficult conversation you can have, which is an honest conversation with yourself. Is there something about what you want that involves controlling somebody else? Because as soon as there is, you can't have that. Because you, you can't have that. You have no, you know, you can influence, but we can't control those people. So what do you actually want? And then I write out, what do I have to do? Who do I have to be? And what do I have to believe yeah. in order for that to happen? And when I'm in a high stress situation with family, I do that. When I'm in um, a new project in my business, what do I want? I want this launch to make this much money. Okay, fine. What do I have to do? Who do I have to be? And what do I have to believe? Yeah. And I'll, I'll do it every day, even the same one over and over and over again. I mean, that's so simple. Anybody can do that and start seeing and then maybe even adapt it to how they yeah. it better. But I think that is a great piece of advice and so grateful that you are we're here today to share all your wisdom and these amazing nuggets and 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 really kind of give us a different way of thinking about it and some tools. So, so grateful to have you here today, Aaron, and to the Waste Step Wardrobe community. Thank you for joining us. That was the Waste Step Wardrobe weekly wrap up. As you heard Aaron sum it all up and you know, we're here every Thursday at 1130 without fail. Maybe there were some times where we didn't show up for like extreme circumstances, like a big holiday or something, but uh, 90 Eight percent of the time, we're here at eleven thirty live on Thursdays, waiting to bring you a new entrepreneurial show that will really help you squeeze the juice out of being an entrepreneur. And no, join us again next week at eleven thirty Pacific time, where we bring you a new guest and a new topic, so that we can help you enhance your entrepreneurial life. Mm -hmm.